0: And welcome to the African American Hour. I'm Rosemarie Anquay, bringing you readings from the following publications. Ebony, The Community Voice, Blavity, History.com, News One, The Undefeated, and HuffPost. Today, I'll begin with an article titled, Have you thanked A Black Inventor Today by Keasia Hudgings, K-E-A-S-Y-A, Hudgings, H-U-D-G-I-N-S. The Griot, February 5th, 2022. What would Black History Month be if we didn't take the time to reflect on our rich history and ancestors? The impact of generations of the past continues to reinforce our future as a community. In the words of the great Maya Angelou, you can't really know where you are going until you know where you have been. A great deal is owed to the past innovators who make our lives easier today. Here are five black inventors who you can thank today. Madam C.J. Walker. 1867 to 1919. Madam C.J. Walker is both the originator of Black Girl Magic and the original Girl Boss. Her legacy as the first African-American woman to become a self-made millionaire continues to impact the women we idolize today. The black hair care industry is a billion dollar industry that continues to thrive as more women and men develop brands and companies that enhance the black hair experience, none of which would be possible without Walker's inventions. Madam Walker's Wonderful Hair Grower was created in 1905 and is widely considered the first mass-marketed product intended for black hair. Born Sarah Breedlove, to parents who had been enslaved, it was after experiencing hair loss that she decided to experiment with ingredients that would later comprise her hair care line. In 2020, Self Made, a Netflix series inspired by her life, was released. Marie Van Brittan Brown, 1922 to 1999. Marie Van Brittan Brown invented the first home security system. In 1966, Brown filed to patent the invention that continues to influence modern security systems today. Her husband, Albert Brown, worked as an electrician technician while Marie worked as a nurse, both during non-traditional hours in Queens, New York. The crime rate was very high in their neighborhood, which prompted Marie to increase the couple's personal home security. There were several trials of the new technology before Brown created a security button that would contact police immediately. Marie Brown's inventions are now the foundation for more technological security systems that are installed in apartments, homes, and businesses. Dr. James E. West, 1931 to present. Dr. James E. West co-invented the microphone, electret microphone, E L E C T R E T, in 1964 with his German colleague Gerard Sessler. West currently holds over 250 patents for the production and design of microphones. Can you imagine a world without karaoke and entertainment microphones? Well, thanks to these living legends, you will never have to wonder. The vast majority of microphones, including cell phone, camera, and podcast mics, are products of what West co-invented. In 1960, while working at Bell's Labs, West was tasked with creating a more sensitive and compact microphone, ultimately inventing the Foil electret Microphone. After four years of development, the final model was ready for production and was used in baby monitors, telephones, hearing aids, and tape recorders. George Crum, C-R-U-M, 1824-1914. Can you imagine reaching for a snack and not having access to your Doritos, Cheetos, or Lays? Well, you can thank George Crum, who unintentionally created the potato chip. In 1853, Crumb, who was a chef and restaurateur, created the first potato chip as a response to a customer who sent back their fried potatoes, complaining they were too thick. A frustrated Crumb responded by cutting potatoes as thin as he possibly could and frying them, which resulted in what we now know as potato chips. Unfortunately, the invention was never patented, which led to Crum's ingenuity being appropriated and overtaken by the mass production and distribution of potato chips on a national scale. Garrett Morgan, 1877 to 1963. Garrett is known for several significant inventions that impacts your daily life. He is best known for his improved traffic light. In 1920, Morgan introduced one of the first three light systems that has been adopted to what we now know and use while driving. The inventor was known to be the first black man in Cleveland to own a car. After witnessing an accident, Morgan decided to invent a light that would warn you to stop. Shortly after he acquired patents for his traffic signal, the modern three-way traffic light eventually made its way to Britain and Canada before he sold the rights to General Electric for $40,000. This article was titled, Have You Thanked a Black Inventor Today? by Kiesia Hudgens, The Grio, February 5th, 2022. The next article is titled, Wichita Native to Return Home for Local Debut of Her Award-Winning Play by Bonita Gooch, G-O-O-C-H, The Community Voice, February 4, 2022. This April 1st to 3rd production at Wichita's Crown Upton has a special Wichita connection. Depending on your age, you may have heard the old question, how are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen Pauli? Paris? When it comes to Wichita native Micah Watson, we offer a more interesting but less perplexing question. Are we going to get Micah back to Wichita after the rest of the world sees just how talented she is? Well, at least... For a weekend, the talented playwright, filmmaker, and screenwriter will return home for the Wichita debut of her awarding play, Canaan. However, after that, the sky isn't even the limit for this talented young filmmaker, playwright, and screen director. Micah, the daughter of attorney and pastor C. Edward Watson, and his wife, Gidget left home for college at the University of Virginia in 2014 and since then she's been on a path to greatness. Even before completing her degree in 2018 in Drama and African American and African Studies, she was an award-winning playwright. In the two years she was working on her Master's in Fine Arts at NYU, she wrapped up a string of awards recognitions, film festival selections, honors, and golden opportunities to shine, based solely on the quality of her work, not special connections or perks made available to a select, perfectly positioned few. Now Micah, who is back at the University of Virginia, completing an artist-in-residency at The Memory Project, is considering and evaluating the options for next steps being presented to her. She wants to continue writing and making films, and like many talented filmmakers, she has a script she's written for a feature film she wants to produce and direct. Micah's career is ready to take off on a path that likely won't lead her back home. Except Michael will return to Wichita for the Wichita debut of Canaan, a production of the Kansas African American Museum, which will be on stage at the Crown Upton in Wichita, April 1st to 3rd. Canaan tells the coming-of-age story of a teenager and his community caught between love, activism, and spirituality during one of the most Tumultuous years in American history, 1968. In Canaan, generations collide as Washington, D.C. neighbors must decide where their loyalties lie when the civil rights movement takes a downward turn following the death of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. In 2018, the play and Micah as the Playwright were recognized by the Kennedy Center with the best undergraduate playwriting award and with the Lorraine Hansberry distinction as the play written by a student of African or Dysporia of diaspora descendant that best express the African-American experience. What can individuals expect from the play? Micah says people who come to the play can expect to have a familiar experience. There will be individuals that people definitely recognize, said Micah. There are a lot of different characters, someone everyone can relate to. While the play is about tragedy, the play is about a lot more. It's about love, community, and about growing up, said Micah. Ultimately, the play will encourage everyone to press further into what their duties and responsibilities are as citizens. This article is titled, Wichita Native to Return Home for Local Debut of Her Award-Winning Play by Bonita Gooch, The Community Voice, February 4, 2022. The next article is titled, WSU Men's Basketball to Raise Funds for Title I Schools in Shocker Neighborhood by United Way of the Plains, February 3rd, 2022. This year's annual hashtag fight for literacy game will be held on Saturday, February 12th at 7 p.m. in Charles Cooch Arena, when WSU's men's basketball team plays the University of South Florida. Donations will stay with United Way of the Plains To support literacy programs in Title I elementary schools in the Shocker neighborhood. The funds will be used to provide books featuring diverse characters to children from kindergarten through third grade and to enhance the ongoing Read to Succeed tutoring program. Over 400 volunteer reading coaches in the Read to Succeed program meet weekly with students for 30 minutes to listen to them read And help them improve their reading skills. Dr. Alicia Thompson, Wichita's Public Schools Superintendent, said that it's imperative for the entire community to help increase literacy rates. We all benefit when children are reading at grade level and focused on increasing their learning skills. We are most appreciative when the community donates funds to help buy books, supplies, and to support tutoring programs that motivate students to increase their reading proficiency so that they have a better chance of completing high school. Every year, coaching staff and athletes across the country select a specific game to wear hashtag Green for Literacy as a part of the Coaching for Literacy National Initiative. That encourages fans to donate in support of local literacy programs. Over 40 teams are participating this year to support their local community, and WSU has participated in the program for the last several years. WSU fans won the national hashtag FightForLiteracy Championship title in 2021, raising 28000 In donations and matching funds. WSU's men's basketball coach Isaac Brown hopes to repeat that performance in 2022. We have some of the best fans in the nation and last year they proved how much they love our community through their generous donations. We'd love to be named the national champions again this year so that we can prepare our next generation of Shocker students to fulfill their potential and achieve their goals. Donations are already underway at the unitedwayplains.org slash literacy, where fans can track the teams, hashtag give progress, and see how they're performing against 40 other colleges. The first $5,000 will be matched, doubling the impact of every gift received. WSU fans can donate at unitedwayplains.org slash literacy. $10 helps purchase two books for a child. This article was titled WSU Men's Basketball to raise funds for Title I schools in Chakra neighborhood by United Way of the Plains, February 3rd, 2022. The next article is titled Black History Month by history.com editors updated January 31, 2022. Black History Month is an annual celebration of achievements by African-Americans and a time for recognizing their central role in U.S. history. Also known as African American History Month, the event grew out of Negro History Week, the brainchild of noted historian Carter G. Woodson and other prominent African Americans. Since 1976, every U.S. president has officially designated the month of February as Black History Month. Other countries around the world, including Canada and the United Kingdom, also devote a month to celebrating Black history. The story of Black History Month begins in 1915, half a century after the 13th Amendment abolished slavery in the United States. That September, the Harvard-trained historian Carter G. Woodson and the prominent minister Jesse E. Moreland, founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, ASNLH, an organization dedicated to researching and promoting achievements by Black Americans and other peoples of African descent. Known today as the Association for the Study of African American Life and History, A-S-A-L-H. The group sponsored a National Negro History Week in 1926, choosing the second week of February to coincide with the birthdays of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. The event inspired schools and communities nationwide to organize local celebrities, establish history clubs, and host performances and lectures. In the decades that followed, mayors of cities across the country began issuing yearly proclamations recognizing Negro History Week. By the late 1960s, thanks in part to the civil rights movement and a growing awareness of Black identity, Negro History Week has evolved into Black History Month on many college campuses. President Gerald Ford officially recognized Black History Month in 1976, calling upon the public to seize the opportunity to honor the too-often-neglected accomplishments of Black Americans in every area of endeavor throughout our history. Today, Black History Month is a time to honor the contributions and legacy of African-Americans across U.S. history and society, from activist and civil rights pioneers, such as Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Marcus Garvey, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and Rosa Parks, to leaders in industry, politics, science, culture, and more. Since 1976, every American president has designated February as Black History Month and endorsed a specific theme. The Black History Month 2022 theme, Black Health and Wellness, explores the legacy of not only Black scholars and medical practitioners in Western medicine, but also other ways of knowing. For example, birth workers, dualas, midwives, Naturopaths, herbalists, etc., throughout the African diaspora. The 2022 theme considers activities, rituals, and initiatives that Black communities have done to be well. The man behind Black History Month. In 1915, Carter G. Woodson traveled to Chicago from his home in Washington, D.C., to take part in a national celebration of the 50th anniversary of emancipation. He had earned his bachelor's and master's degree at the University of Chicago and still had many friends there. As he joined the thousands of black Americans overflowing from the Coliseum, which housed exhibits highlighting African-American achievements since the abolition of slavery, Woodson was inspired to do more in the spirit of celebrating Black History and Heritage. Before he left Chicago, he helped found the Association of the Study of Negro Life and History, ASNLH. A year later, Woodson single handedly launched the Journal of Negro History, in which he and other researchers brought attention to the achievements of Black Americans. Born in 1875 in New Canton, Virginia. Woodson had worked as a sharecropper, miner, and various other jobs during his childhood to help support his large family. Though he entered high school late, he made up for lost time, graduating in less than two years. After attending Berea College in Kentucky, B-E-R-E-A, Woodson worked in the Philippines as an education superintendent. For the U.S. government. He earned his bachelor's and master's degree at the University of Chicago before entering Harvard. In 1912, three years before founding the ASNLH, he became only the second African American, after W.E. Du Bois, to earn a doctorate from that institution. Like Du Bois, Woodson believed that young African Americans in the early 20th century not being taught enough of their own heritage and the achievements of their ancestors. To get his message out, Woodson first turned to his fraternity, Omega Psi Phi, which created Negro History and Literature Week in 1924. But Woodson wanted a wider celebration, and he decided the ASNLH should take on the task itself. In February 1926, He chose February because the month contained the birthdays of both Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, two prominent men whose historic achievements African Americans already celebrated. Lincoln's birthday was February 12th. Douglass, who was formerly enslaved, hadn't known his actual birthday, but had marked the occasion on February 14th. As schools and other organizations across the country quickly embraced Woodson's initiative, he and his colleagues struggled to meet the demand for course materials and other resources. The ASNLH formed branches all over the country, though its national headquarters remained centered in Woodson's Row House on 9th Street in Washington, D.C. The house was also home base for the Associated Publishers Press which Woodson had founded in 1921. This article was titled, The Man Behind Black History Month by Sarah Pruitt, January 31st, 2022. The original article was titled, Black History Month, written by History.com Editors, January 31st, 2022. The next article is titled, With Their Agenda Stalled, Democrats Urge Parents to File Taxes by Arthur Delaney, D-E-L-A-N-E-Y, Huff Post, February 8th, 2022. Democrats have failed to extend the monthly child tax credit payments that most American parents received last year, but they have some useful advice for parents Missing that extra cash. File your taxes. More than 36 million households received as much as $300 per child each month from July through December. The monthly payments have ended, but households that were eligible for the maximum benefit stand to receive lump sum checks for the first six months of 2021 in the form of a tax refund. Democrats called a press conference Tuesday to publicize the coming refunds. This being tax season, I want to just put in a pitch this year so the families will make sure that they get the second half of the child's tax credit payment, said Representative Rosa DeLaro, Democrat, Connecticut. Since Democrats boosted the maximum value of the child's tax credit to $3,600 in 2021 for kids under six, $3,000 for kids aged six to 17, and the IRS only made monthly payments for half of the year, eligible parents can get refunds worth as much as $1,800 per child under 6 and $1,500 per child age 6 to 17. Shannon Russell is a 34-year-old mother of four in Hemet, H-E-M-E-T, California, whose husband died from cancer five years ago. She said the monthly payments had been a big help, and she didn't know more money would arrive via a tax refund. It's useful, of course. But Joe Biden promised to bring single-parent households out of poverty, and it wasn't supposed to be for just a year, Russell said. Russell worked at a drug manufacturer's warehouse until the pandemic hit and hasn't been able to return. They offered to bring me back, but I don't have childcare. she said. I'm kind of out here on my own. Russell said that she's been searching for a babysitter since last year but hasn't had any luck. She needs someone who can watch her four-year-old who has autism and also pick up his older siblings from school. She has interviewed potential caretakers, but not found one who could do the work on a schedule that fits her own. Even before the pandemic, she said, she would sometimes miss shifts because of the kids. There is no way I'm going to pull this off without the child credit, she said. Democrats had said they would continue the child tax credit payments as part of the Build Back Better Act, but the bill stalled last year after Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat, West Virginia, said he wouldn't support it. The bigger tax refunds will likely alleviate some of the hardship parents have faced since losing the monthly payments. Bennett told HuffPost The Democrats did not think of the refunds as buying them time. It's certainly good to have that enhancement, Bennett said, but everybody up here knows how important this monthly credit has been. It's been a lifeline. This article is titled, With Their Agenda Stalled, Democrats Urge Parents to File Taxes, by Arthur Delaney, Huff Post, February 8, 2020 twenty two the next article is titled "Remembering Rosa Parks Resilience and Resistance in the Face of Racism While our elders like Rosa Parks deserve our love and admiration every day all day it's probably Rosa Parks who is befittingly called the Mother of of the modern day civil rights movement for sparking the Montgomery bus boycott would have celebrated her 109th birthday on Friday. Born Rosa Louise McCauley on February 4th, 1913 in Tuskegee, Alabama, the legendary civil rights icon who was arrested in 1955 for refusing to give her seat up to a white woman on a public bus remains a strong symbol of resilience and resistance in the face of racism. It almost seems karmic that Park's birthday month coincides with Black History Month. Park's signature move, simply in delivery but stellar in impact, represented a refusal to relinquish her seat to a white passenger when bus driver James F. Blake demanded that she do so in Montgomery, Alabama on December 1, 1955. Blacks were known as colored, and inferiority was the superior thought about African Americans at the time of Park's bourgeoning resistance. She, like so many Black people, was tired of being resigned to second class status because of racism. On that day, Park's resistance was right, yet the courageous woman, 42, was arrested and briefly locked up, handcuffed by the stigmatization of segregation. Park's revolution was racialized and publicized. Threats and caveats alike were thrown her way, but proved futile. The activist summed up her feelings about that heavily documented day in her Rosa Parks, My Story, autobiography in 1992. I was not tired physically, or no more tired than I usually was at the end of a working day. I was not old, although some people have an image of me being old then. I was 42. No, the only tired I was, was tired of giving in. Parks, the secretary of the Montgomery NAACP chapter at the time, was not the first woman to refuse to vacate her seat. Claudette Colvin, Susie McDonald, Mary Louise Smith, and other women were arrested for their resistance of the segregated bus system. A small boycott snowballed into a major boycott that lasted more than 300 days, starving revenue, for the Alabama buses operations. Colvin, Parks, and the other female protesters, along with Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., in solidarity with one another, supported a major legal case, Browder v. Gale, B R O W D E R, Gale, G A Y L E, that caused a reversal in course pertaining to bus segregation in 1956. Black folks won the agency to sit in whatever seats they wanted, a right that should have been theirs from the start. Parks, who died in 2005 at the age of 92 in Detroit, Michigan, will forever be remembered for her role in the revolution in Montgomery. African-Americans, including Barack Obama, have admired the intrepid Parks. Bus seats are still posthumously reserved for the activists, even to this day. This article is titled, Remembering Rosa Parks' Resilience and Resistance in the Face of Racism, written by News One staff, February 4th, 2022. The next article is titled, one in 10 black people in the US are immigrants, a number expected to rise, according to data analysts, by Noah A. McGee, MCGEE, The Root, February 9, 2022. In the United States, one in 10 black people are immigrants, which is only expected to rise in the coming years, based on data analysts, from the Pew Research Center. The analysts of data from the Census Bureau found that about 4.6 million black people who are currently living in the country were born in a different country in 2019, which is an increase from 1980 when 800,000 black immigrants lived in the United States. But by 2060, The black immigrant population is expected to double and increase to 9.5 million in the U.S. The black immigrant population is also projected to outpace the U.S.-born black population in growth. While both groups are increasing in number, the foreign-born population is projected to grow by 90% between 2020 and 2060 while the U.S.-born population is expected to grow 29% over the same time span. Migration from Africa has fueled the bulk of the growth of the Black foreign-born population. The data analysis also found that 31% of Black immigrants aged 25 and over have a bachelor degree or higher. This article is titled, One in 10 Black people in the U.S. are immigrants, a number expected to rise, according to Data Analysts by Noah A. McGee, The Root, February 9, 2022. The next article is titled, Legendary Fashion Icon, Andre Leon Talley Dies at 73. By Savannah Taylor, January 19, 2022. Andre Leon Talley, one of the most venerable figures in fashion, has passed away at the age of 73. Born in Washington, D.C. in 1948 and raised in Durham, North Carolina, Talley has touched every imaginable aspect of the fashion world as a respected journalist editor, author, and creative director. He attributed his grandmother's presence in his upbringing as a major impact in his life and career growing up in the Jim Crow South. After attending an all-Black high school, he went on to attend North Carolina Central University, where he got his Bachelor of Arts degree in French literature. He then received a scholarship to attend Brown University, where he received his Master's of Arts degree in French literature. Talley got his start interning for fashion editor Diana Verland, V-R-E-E-L-A-N-D. Other publications that were graced by his gift include Women's Wear Daily, W, and New York Times. Talley most notably rose to prominence as editor-at-large of American Vogue. He served in this role until his departure in 2013. The best-selling author's last book, The Chiffon Trenches, highlights the highs and lows of the fashion industry through his unique point of view. In the book, he detailed his experience working as a fashion editor for Ebony from 1980 through 1981. My family did not read WWD at all, nor would they even have known where to purchase that publication, but they all subscribed to and read the monthly Ebony as well as Jet. Finally, I had a job that would make my entire church family and all my aunts and cousins proud, said Tally regarding his time at the esteemed Black Culture magazine. Adding to his list of accolades, Talley acted as a consultant for the Obama family as they navigated the White House. His knowledge and reverence of history and fashion has undoubtedly furthered his status as a largely influential figure and tastemaker globally. Since the announcement of his passing Tuesday evening, various tributes have been paid from fashion icons across the generations across the globe an official announcement was posted to his instagram page early wednesday morning andre leon talley's undeniable presence in fashion both physical and symbolic influenced all who witnessed his greatness his rich legacy lives in his understanding of curating and seeking luxury as a means of liberation and excellence, no matter one's means or backgrounds. A purveyor of beauty and style in varied forms, Talley has left an indelible legacy within the fashion community and on society as a whole. This article is titled, Legendary Fashion Icon Andre Leon Talley Dies at 73 by Savannah Taylor Ebony, January 19th, 2022. The next article is titled, Vaccine Mandates, Teacher Pay, and Scholarship, Kansas Education Bills to Watch, by Maria Benevento, B-E-N-E-V-E-N-T-O, Wichita Beacon, January 28th, 2022. Here are some of the new topics on legislators' minds at the start of the 2022 session. If you'd like to give lawmakers feedback on any of these issues, contact information is available on the House and Senate rosters. Increasing Teachers Pay Representative Brett Fairchild, a Republican from St. John, filed legislation HB 2457 to require school districts to pay teachers more as their budgets expand. Starting with the 2023 to 2024 school year, the proposal will require school districts to calculate how much their spending grew in the most recent year, then increase each full-time classroom teachers pay by at least the same Percentage. COVID vaccine cell phone use. A proposal sponsored by five Republican representatives, HB 2498, would ban the Kansas Secretary of Health and Environment from requiring COVID 19 vaccines for school. Currently, Kansas law says students should be up to date on their vaccines in order to attend school or childcare. But it doesn't specify which vaccines a student needs to be considered up to date. Instead, that list is determined by the Kansas Secretary of Health and Environment and currently includes 11 vaccinations. Currently, the COVID-19 vaccine is not on the list. If the bill becomes law, the department secretary couldn't add it. The Senate Committee on Transportation is sponsoring legislation SB332 that would prohibit drivers from using a cell phone in a school zone at times when school zone speed limits apply. The proposal wouldn't apply to hands-free devices in case of an emergency when it's necessary to use a phone or to for hire drivers using a device attached to the dashboard to communicate with a dispatcher. It would also apply in construction zones and to minors under 18, no matter where they are driving. Free Community College Scholarship Changes The Kansas Promise Act, which started a scholarship program providing free community college to students in specific high-demand fields, went into effect midway through 2021. Legislators already want to tweak it. Among other changes, a proposal sponsored by the Senate Committee on Education, SB 340, would limit the program to U.S. citizens only and allow schools to designate additional eligible programs. The scholarship already covers programs in information, technology, and security, mental and physical health care, advanced manufacturing and building trades, early childhood education and development, and one additional area based on local needs. Under the legislation, the schools could also add a program area from the list of agriculture, food and natural resources, education and training, law, public safety, corrections and security, distribution and logistics. The proposal also adds detail for how the program should be administered, including tracking results and recouping money from students who don't meet the program's requirement of working in Kansas for at least two years after completing their education. A fiscal note attached to the bill estimates it would lead to $125,000 of administrative costs. Public school services for private school students. Legislation sponsored by the House Committee on K-12 Education Budget, HB 2514, would allow students attending religious or other private schools to also enroll in public school part-time. Local school boards would establish policies related to part-time enrollment and districts would be required to make good-faith efforts to accommodate students' schedules but wouldn't have to agree to every request. Under a proposal sponsored by the House Committee on K-12 Education Budget, HB 2511, students in a public school district who attend a virtual school or a private school registered with the state could participate in the district's extracurricular activities. Those students would still have to meet normal requirements to participate in activities from the State Activities Association, and the district could require them to pay fees or take specific classes if other district students have to do the same. The HB 2511 proposal also adds board members and employees of the State Activities Association to the list of types of professionals who are required to report suspected child abuse. Curriculum, Disclosing course materials, computer science requirement. School districts would have to publish a list of materials used in classes or teacher training under a proposal sponsored by the Senate Committee on Education. SB 363 The list would include the title, author, organization and website, if applicable, for each material assigned or presented to students. A separate list would cover teacher training, and districts would also publish their procedures for reviewing materials. This would need to be fully updated by the last day of the school year and kept online for at least an additional year they would not include full reproductions of the materials. For materials created as a single volume, schools would not have to report separately the components of that volume. School curriculums and reading materials have come under increased scrutiny as some of the parents and politicians criticize teaching on race and diversity in schools, which they often label as critical race theory. A proposal filed by Representative Steve Hubert, H-U-E-B-E-R-T, a Republican from Valley Center, would require all high schools to offer computer science courses by the 23-24 school year, starting with the freshman class that enters in 2025-26, H.B. 2466 would require most students to earn a computer science credit to graduate. The legislation sets aside money for grants to teacher preparation programs that can train educators in computer science. Students who speak American Sign Language Legislation sponsored by the Senate Committee on Federal and State Affairs, SB 372, would allow students who speak American Sign Language as a foundational language to continue receiving special education services and or continue attending the Kansas School for the Deaf, even if they gain access to hearing through a device, medical treatment, or natural cause. The proposal states that it is in recognition of the academic, social, and developmental benefits of American Sign Language. As a foundational language and bridge to American Sign Language and English Bilingual Education. This is a special article titled Vaccine Mandates, Teacher Pay, and Scholarship Kansas Education Bills to Watch by Maria Benevento, Wichita Beacon, January 28, 2022. The next article celebrates. Valentine's Day and its History. It is titled, The History of Valentine's Day and Why We Celebrate by Real Simple Editors, January 7th, 2022. Whether you love Valentine's Day or hate it, one thing's clear. Valentine's Day history goes way back, and while Valentine's Day is now known for kissing, Valentine's Day's gifts, and hard-to-get dinner reservations, The origins of the holiday are far less romantic. Here, the Valentine's Day history that wouldn't make it into a rom com featuring a saint, a massacre, and even the sinful nuns of Valentine's Day. When is Valentine's Day? First, a quick refresher Valentine's Day always falls on February 14th. Valentine's Day 2022 is Monday, February 14th. At the end of the 5th century, Pope Galasius, G.E.L.A.S.I.U.S., declared February 14th Saint Valentine's Day, and since then, February 14th has been a day of celebration. Though it was generally though it was generally more religious than romantic. How did Valentine's Day start? Valentine's Day is a fixed day on the calendar that got lumped into a mid-February holiday on the ancient Roman calendar called Lupercalia, l-u-p-e-r-c-a-l-i-a, which some historians believe is what led to Valentine's Day being all about love. Lupercalia celebrated fertility and may have included a ritual in which men and women were paired off by choosing names from a jar. In ancient Greece, people observed a midwinter celebration for the marriage of of the god Zeus and the goddess Hera. Who was Saint Valentine, and what does he have to do with chocolate hearts? Not much, it turns out. Saint Valentine's Day was a feast day in the Catholic religion, added to the liturgical calendar around 500 AD. The day was commemorated for martyred saints named, you guessed it, Valentine. Differing legends celebrate three different saints called Valentine, or Valentinus, but since very little was known about these men and there were conflicting reports of the St. Valentine's Day story, the feast day was removed from the Christian liturgical calendar in 1969. But even though not much is known about the real history of St. Valentine's, on whom the holiday is based... The legend of Saint Valentine has several tellings. One legend says that Saint Valentine refused to convert to paganism and was executed by Roman Emperor Claudius II. Prior to his death, he was able to miraculously heal the daughter of his jailer, who then converted to Christianity along with his family. Another legend says a bishop called Saint Valentine of Terni t-e-r-n-i, is the true namesake of the holiday. This Saint Valentine was also executed. But according to others, and this is how Saint Valentine became affiliated with a love-focused holiday, Saint Valentine was a Roman priest who performed weddings for soldiers forbidden to marry because of a Roman emperor edict decreeing married soldiers did not make good warriors, and thus young men could not marry. The Saint Valentine wore a ring with a cupid on it, a symbol of love, that helped soldiers recognize him. And in a precursor, greeting cards, he handed out paper hearts to remind Christians of their love for God. Because of this legend, Saint Valentine became known as the patron saint of love. The Saint Valentine prayer asks Saint Valentine, to connect lovers together so that two become one and the couple remembers their devotion to God. While St. Valentine's story set the groundwork for establishing the day as a holiday for romantic love, what truly solidified the connection between St. Valentine and love was a poem by medieval author Geoffrey Chaucer, C-H-U-C-E-R, in 1381 which historians consider the origins of the modern celebration of Valentine's Day, where we celebrate our romantic partnership with one other person. Why do we celebrate Valentine's Day? Chaucer lived in the Middle Ages, the era of courtly love, when broad romantic statements of devotion, poems, songs, paintings, celebrated partnership. By the end of the 15th century, The word Valentine was being used to describe a lover in poems and songs of the day, and in the 18th century, a book called The Young Man's Valentine Writer was published in England. By the mid-19th century, mass-produced paper, Valentine cards, were being created, though DIY Valentine card ideas are still worth trying, and Valentine's Day as we know it was born. The truth about Valentine's Day history is that the romantic holiday isn't immune to tragedy. In Prohibition, Chicago in 1929, seven men were killed by a gang organized by Al Capone on February 14th. The Valentine's Day massacre became a flashpoint in Prohibition history, with police and lawmakers going after the gangs and mobs that had formed in cities to control then-illegal substances like alcohol. What is the meaning of Valentine's Day? Over the years and centuries, Valentine's Day has been a religious celebration, an ancient ritual day, and a commercial holiday. All that change means the meaning of Valentine's Day is truly whatever you want it to be. You can skip the celebrations completely, buy yourself some chocolate or flowers, or express your love and appreciation for the people in your life whether they're co-workers, romantic partners, friends, or family members. Some people love Valentine's Day, and some people just love to hate it. Galentine's Day, G-A-L-E-N-T-I-N-E, is a relatively new way to celebrate, as women celebrate their love for their closest friends. So celebrate the day of love however you want, even if it's just through self-love. A nice dinner out, going to the movies, cooking a fancy meal at home, or hosting a Valentine's Day party are also great ways to celebrate. This is a special article titled, The History of Valentine's Day and Why We Celebrate, by Real Simple Editors, January 7, 2022. That's all the time we have for the African American Hour. My name is Rosemary Ancleg. Thanks for joining me.